Welcome to a bonus episode of Give Him Hell Burnham. Yesterday, I did an interview with Ron Barker, a BYU alum who is the head of Pac-12 compliance from 2001 to 2020. Prior to being with the Pac-12, he worked in enforcement and NCAA headquarters. This bonus episode is a sample of the types of VIP interviews we will have for paid subscribers at GiveHimHellBrigham.com. We launched the new site and newsletter earlier this week, so go check it out and subscribe. Paid members will get access to VIP channels on our Discord server, monthly Zoom calls with me, Jeff, and guests, paid-only newsletter editions, as well as all the free ones, and more bonus episodes like these. Annual subscribers will also get a new shirt designed every year that is not available in our store to the public. So hop on to GiveHimHellBrigham.com and check it out, and here's the interview with Ron. Okay, joining us now is Ron Barker. And Ron, how are you doing this afternoon? All right, how are you? Good. And so Ron actually, Ron and I got introduced because uh, my roommate from my freshman year of college, you were eating dinner at his parents' house and he was there and he was like, he texted me, he was like, oh, you got to talk to this guy. You guys would get along. So great. And so Ron, tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of your background and where you're at and why you might be an interesting guest to have on the show and why our fans are maybe interested in talking to you and hearing about your life and your stories that you have to share. Yeah, so I I got my master's at BYU and I was a member of the basketball coaching staff with Roger Reed way back in the day. And I joke now that the Haas kids who just got done playing, I coached their dad. He was the starting point guard when I was there. So it's been a long time. But um, from there, I went and volunteered at at a, a high school, Mountain View High School and coached. And we were ranked number one the whole season, ended up losing in the playoffs early. And then I got hired uh, from a parent at, after one of the games sitting there talking to him and he offered me a job at Novell doing software piracy investigations, something I had no background in, but he was looking for people who knew sports. And so he hired a few of us, we were hugely successful. And I did that for seven years, got to travel all over the world, went to China and Asia, South America, Europe. Uh, I've been to all 50 states and just, we were busy all the time and we'd come back with big money, but I did that for a while. and then decided, you know, I want to get back in athletics. That's what I have my master's in. So I went and applied at the NCA on a whim and got hired at the NCA in the enforcement group. And so I went out and investigated schools all throughout the nation, uh, everything that you could possibly think of. And after I was only there a little under three years and realized that the, the NCA is a mess, like everybody knows. And uh, I was fortunate that the Pac-12, it was Pac-10 at the time, had a job come open uh they're the only conference that did their own enforcement and their head guy was leaving to become the head of the ncaa enforcement so i swapped places with him and i took over the pac-12 and pac-10 enforcement and then 10 years later became the pac-12 so i did that for 19 years i i investigated everything anything that came up any story you know in the news reggie bush usc rick Neuheisel gambling the recent uh, varsity blue stuff where the parents were helping their kids get into school by making them look like they were athletes and working with the coaches and giving them money to there's an FBI men's basketball investigation involving 16 schools that's still ongoing. Uh, The ironic thing is someone who just played in the NBA championship, but he's in his third year, he's part of that investigation. That's how long it's been going on. So I did that for 19 years and, and now I've kind of left and I've written a book. I don't, I have no crosses to, or don't bear anyone ill will, but I, have some great stories. When I talk to people, they're like, man, and I wish people would know that. So what I've done is written fictional books and I'm trying to go out and sell them with a real case based on a real case. And it's a fictional book that's available on Amazon. Now my first one just came out. So I thought I'd start trying to see who might want to hear about it. Awesome. And I think we'll get into some of those cases specifically later on. Um, But you mentioned that going from the NCAA to the Pac-12, it was very different, right? Like when you're at the NCAA, you're trying to nail the school, but on the Pac-12, 
you're, I mean, you're the defense attorney, right? You're saying like, okay, come, you can spill it all to me. And then we're going to try to make a case to, you know, yeah. keep, protect ourselves and protect your brand as well. It actually was a really unique position because I was actually out there investigating and trying to uncover what happened. So the schools hated me, but then as soon as we found out everything, we would have a hearing at the PAC 10 and then we would take that to the NCA, and then I would switch hats and join the school, trying to help them defend themselves. So I always would tell people, be honest with me and tell me the truth, and we'll figure out the best way for you to move forward. But if you lie to me, all bets are off. So I had some schools that, that were just irate with me all the time, and other schools that, oh, man, you saved us. Thanks so much. One of the things that my great, I think the greatest thing someone ever said is, I may not like what you tell me, but you're always fair with us. And so that was my goal. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to tell you what's going on. And then we're going to figure out a way out of it. And if you lie, then you, you've got to bear the consequences of that. Right. That's great. So what is, I mean, on a normal year, right? Like it's, there's obviously BYU fans are familiar with the NCAA enforcement when Nick Emery got his ridiculous, you know, comparatively to like UNC faking grades for athletes, yeah. right? It's like, okay, this kid got a trip to Harry Potter world. And that's like, you know, discounting every game you ever played in. So how like much comes up day to day of stuff that's like self-reported or goes through and the NCAA is just like, it's a big deal. We're glad you told us, don't do it again. Yeah, the thing you just mentioned is the reason I didn't like being at the NCAA because it wasn't fair. It's not a level playing field for everybody. But to give you an example, the PAC, when we were 10 schools at the PAC 10, we processed over 250 violations a year on average. So that was about 25 per school. And, you know, I used to tell everybody, if you break the rules, just tell us about it. Let's figure out what happened and let's correct it. That was the goal. But when I was at the NCAA and we'd get a report on somebody, the first thing we did was go to what the time was called secondary violation doors. And we'd pull it out and see how many they reported. And if they hadn't reported any, we'd go, oh, the school's messed up because everybody's going to have violations. We know that. And so if you didn't report anything, that's when we got worried. If you reported 10 to 15, 20, 25 a year, that's just the cost of doing business. And most of them weren't that serious. The Nick Emery thing, I'm not, you know, I, I, it wasn't my, my uh, purview at the time. I know a little bit about it, but it's one of those things where you look at it and everybody thinks when it's their school that they're treated unfairly, first of all. But, right. but you know, it's the way the NCAA processes it. If you cooperate, you don't get much credit for it. And you're much better off. And I never would tell anybody this, but you're much better off fighting them as much as you can because, if you cooperate, they say, okay, we're going to give you credit for cooperating, but that means nothing. And then you just hang yourself. So it, right. tough. I, had, I had one case at the NCAA where I defended this, and during the hearing, their attorney wasn't doing a good job. He ended up getting disbarred later, but I ended up starting defending the school on a case that I was prosecuting because I just got tired of the way the committee was treating them, that they were a school that didn't do something terrible. And they were trying to, they were a smaller school trying to come forward and it just wasn't fair. So I ended up starting defending them as I'm presenting the case. And, you know, it's just that's the kind of stuff that drove me crazy. Yeah, I wouldn't want to deal with that either. Um, how do you think, I mean, obviously with the news and last week of Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC, it kind of feels like a tipping point where, any shades of amateurism, right, are basically completely gone now, especially with NIL. So it's, I guess, what do you think besides NIL and kind of these super conferences coming to light? Um, what do you think of maybe behind the scenes and the business of the day-to-day -day runnings of a conference? Uh, how have college sports changed from when you started in, I guess what you said is 2001, right? You, you told me that you had your first interview was on 9-11 yeah, and then you got stranded there. I, I, and then- yeah. 
20 I, years. I interviewed, I interviewed for my job at the Pac-12 on 9-11 and got stuck in Northern California for three days. Um, but I started at the NCAA in 99 and I coached at BYU in 89. So I've been around a long time. But um, really, if you would ask me in the early 90s, should kids get paid? I'd say absolutely not. They're getting a scholarship. You know how much a scholarship's worth? They get help getting through school. They have tutors. They have, you know, they, you've got to try to fail if you want to fail. I mean, you, if you go in and make any effort, they're going to help you get a degree. If you put an effort into it, you, it's really valuable. I've completely come off of that because as you watch coaches making four, five, six, seven million dollars a year, you see conference commissioners making five million. You see the head of the NCA making, I don't know, four or five million. You no longer can look at, at student athletes and say you shouldn't get your share. So I've completely 180 degrees from when I started to now. I, I don't like it still. I think there's two. If I had my druthers, I'd say, okay, all this extra money coming in, let's give it back to regular students, lower their tuition. Let's get fans into the games for five bucks a game instead of what the astronomical price is. Let's, let's help the public and let's help give the money back to the schools to help the schools become better, but they don't. So like right. this whole thing with Texas and Oklahoma possibly leaving to go to the SEC. Yeah, it's going to be a lot more money for them. What are they going to do with the money? Their coaches are going to get paid more. They're going to build bigger stadiums, more nicer facilities. But, you know, do they need it? I don't know. I mean, that's just kind of where I'm like, I throw out my hands and kind of tired of the whole thing. And it's really in the last 20 years or I guess 25 years, because I think it was in like 1995 or 1996, Steve Spurrier signed an extension at Florida and he was the first coach to make a million dollars. And that was like, oh my goodness. And now you've got Conference USA teams paying their coaches $900,000 to you know, go three and eight and not do anything. When, um, when our old commissioner, the first commissioner I worked for at the Pac-12, when he left after, I think he'd been there 25, 30 some years, he was making X amount of money. When the new commissioner came on, he was making first day three times as much. Right. So, so there's uh, this, yeah. been a big changing of the guard. Um, so in terms of where obviously you, you coached BYU, you were BYU alumni um, or alum and um, you still, and you worked with Tom Homo because he was coaching at Cal, right? At the first part of your tenure at the PAC, in the PAC 10, he was the head coach at Cal. Um, so kind of what are your thoughts in terms of like Tom Homo as an athletic director, how good of a job he is and kind of the unique things, constraints that he has to deal with being the athletic director at BYU that maybe yeah. most fans don't appreciate or understand. I actually think Tom and I missed each other at the PAC and I think he left right before I got there, but just to show you what kind of, and Tom and I did our master's. He was a year behind me in the master's program at BYU. So we had classes together. We've known each other for a lot of years. To show you what kind of guy he was, Cal had a scandal when he was the head coach. And this is the only time I've ever heard this, heard this happen. The committee and the people praised Tom because he tried to uncover what was happening and, and have everyone tell. And some of the faculty at his school tried to hide things. So, you know, that's usually the opposite. Usually the faculty are trying to uncover it and the coaches hide it, but they praised him for being completely honest and telling, you know, I watch BYU and I think it's a different animal. The, the athletics department, it's tough there. And Tom has some constraints that I'm not going to go into here, but there's things that if I was the athletic director, I would like to do, but you're not allowed to do it at BYU because you know, it's a church, not, not because it's a church school, but because it's governed by so many different people by the general authorities. And so, you know, I think there's things that, that are make good sense, but they aren't allowed to do it. And, and I think that's for Tom, I, there's probably, I, I haven't talked to him about this. He doesn't complain about anything, but I think there's things he probably would love to do, but isn't allowed to do them. So I, he's well-respected. I mean, you talk to the PAC 12 athletic directors, they know BYU is going to bring a quality team every time. They know they're going to have fans. 
they're really well thought of and Tom's really well, he's his, held in high regard um, as an athletic director. No, that's awesome. I knew about the, um, the situation at Cal, but there was, you know, some NCAA infractions going on in time, but I didn't, I didn't know what his role is in it. And that's awesome. That's honestly, that's awesome to me to hear that he, he was found out about it and kind of said, try to say not on my watch. Um, yeah, and he didn't have anything to do with it, but he found out about it. He was one of the ones that helped them uncover what was happening. So, I mean, that's great. We should all be proud of that. Um, so kind of where do you think, um, and with this conference alignment, and you and I talked about this earlier this morning, uh, I mean, where do you think, do you think the Pac-12 is going to be looking to expand again, or do you think that they're going to kind of stand pat because there's not really, I mean, to be honest, there's not really any teams out there unless they can somehow convince Ohio State to leave the Big Ten, which isn't going to happen, right? Yeah. Like there, there's no one that really adds value to the brand. You know, I think it's interesting to listen to people because I went through this when I was at the Pac-10 and we went to 12. They're, they're are so many people with opinions and most of them are, are born out of what they would like to see happen or what they would do if they're the commission without knowing what really goes on at the conferences. So for example, I think we talked about this this morning. No, no one can predict what's going to happen. I can't predict. I don't think anyone can. Um, you know, it makes sense for the PAC 12 to look at what the SEC just did. I think the big 10 is going to look at it and think, okay, what do we do? We need to move before we get left behind. But if you look at like Oregon and say, hey, Oregon may leave and go to join another conference, you don't understand the, 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 how the things work at the schools. Oregon's tied to Oregon State through the state legislature. They get their funding from the same people. So when you're trying to, if you're Oregon trying to leave, you've got people that are giving you the money. It's telling you you're not leaving because you're not leaving Oregon State behind. And athletics is a small, 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 small part of that budget. So, you know, whatever people want to do, it's different than what's really happening. And you have to remember the bosses behind all of this. And this is where I think athletics fails. The presidents of the universities are the ones in charge and they get to vote. They're the only vote that counts. It doesn't matter what the athletic directors say. It doesn't matter what the conference commissioner says. It doesn't matter what the coaches say. It matters what the presidents say. Now, people are trying to persuade them. Most of the presidents, at least the out West, don't have an athletic background. So it's like taking... It would be like taking me and putting me in charge of BYU's law school or, or, or accounting department and say, okay, what do we need to do? Oh, I can come in and look and give an opinion, but I don't have the background to do that. And that's where, right. that's what college sports is. The difference in the SEC where they have a leg up is most of their presidents have to know about athletics because the fan base is so passionate. So they become more knowledgeable or they have advisors who are knowledgeable. That doesn't happen too much out in the Pac-12. That's why you keep getting commissioners who don't have a college athletic background. Right. And the similar to like Larry Scott, right? Like he was like the head of the Women's Tennis Association, right? But never specifically within college athletics and oh. kind of the unique nuances there. Yeah. And that's not a terrible, you know, like it, it's the Pac 12 presidents thought, hey, this is, you know, this is a good idea to look at. And maybe this is going to be the breakthrough thing that we need to do. And, but what you don't understand if you don't work in college athletics, if you come in and someone starts talking to you about NLI, what is that? NIL, what is that? What is, you know, there's so many acronyms. There's so many things. I give a story. Uh, there are things that, that Larry wanted to do that he didn't know there were rules that prevented us from doing it. And we, you'd have to educate. And, and it's not his fault. He didn't have the background. And that's the same thing. It's going to be the same thing with the new guy. I don't know anything about him. He may turn out to be great, but it's a year or two to learn what's going on and have 
every, it's not only learning the landscape in your conference and who gets along with who and who doesn't, what schools are enemies, what schools get along, which faculty members like each other, but you also have to know, okay, how's the NCA work? How do we get by less place? I'll give you a quick story we didn't talk about. One of my jobs at the PAC-12 is to write the, when someone wanted to propose a new rule, the schools would vote on it. And if it got approved, I would be the one that had to write the language. One year, Lute Olson didn't like Midnight Madness for basketball. You know, the first practice was at midnight. He didn't like right. it. He, he was getting older. He's like, this is dumb. So he, they proposed a rule and it passed at the Pac-12 to stop Midnight Mass. Let's start earlier. And I'm like, oh, now we're going to start earlier. There's no rationalization except Lute Olson doesn't like this. So to get it to pass, I wrote, it's a health and safety issue. Fans are driving home at two in the morning. Students are in school and they're staying out till two and then trying to get back to dorms. If something happened to somebody, think of the disaster that would be. And it passed nationwide because that that language. So there's an art to doing it, but it shows you how ridiculous the rules are and how they get passed willy-nilly sometimes. That's really funny because I remember, yeah, there used to be, they used to televise some of those. Like they'd start the season, even like the first tip-off game would be not even just practice. Like the first tip-off would be at midnight and they used to have like it was like big monday or big tuesday when it like the big east would play and then like the big west big 12 would play and then the big west would play and they'd have like back-to-back-to-back games going to like two o'clock in the morning every week um so kind of circling back to what we talked about at the beginning here you mentioned um you know you mentioned some of the investigations so i guess what do you share about your perspective like on you know, the, the Bush investigation, the varsity blues, kind of some of the cases where things that tidbits that you may feel comfortable sharing, obviously those are more public ones. There's some that, you know, are a little more behind the scenes. I think pretty much all of those, especially the Bush investigation, that's pretty much open record. Everyone, you know, has, knows the gist of what's going on, but um, yeah. kind of, yeah, your thoughts on it are kind of something that maybe people may have missed. So uh, I'm going to do a little plug for, for myself for a second. Okay. How that story. This, is, this is a good time for that. So one of the things I, I've done, I was never able to talk about my job ever. Like people would come up to me and say, hey, I know you're working on so like the Reggie Bush investigation. What's going on? And I have to say, I can't talk about it to anybody, to my wife, to anybody. Because I, I never wanted someone to say, hey, Ron told me this. So I never leaked ever. I, when leaks did happen, I, you know, I could say I've never leaked ever. And it's a good thing to be able to say that. So um, one of the things I did that when I, when I retired, I said, you know, there's so many great stories people love. So I go out and do corporate speaking gigs. I get hired to go out and do motivational speeches. And I tell some of these stories. I, I fictionalize them or I tell them without telling who's involved. And I've written a book called The Reluctant Players. And I'll give you a quick background on it. It's an actual, based on an actual investigation I did. A junior college coach wanted to get a job as, at a division one college as an assistant coach. And he had two star players. And he went to the star players at his junior college and said, you can't pass the math class here. It's too hard for you. So let's sign you up for a correspondence course and I'll help you get through it. And so basically what he did is help him cheat. And he did it by, he went to the two tutors, 18 year old girls on the, for the team and said to one of them, hey, they can't do, they can't do this. They don't understand it. Well, you do the even problems because they only have to do the odd ones. And they'll see the work you did on the even problems. Then they'll do the odd problems, be able to do it. Then he went to the other one and said, can you do the odd problems? They only have to do the even. So the two girls did all their work, not knowing they were helping these kids cheat. They would write it over in their own handwriting and then the coach would turn it in. When I interviewed him, they all told me he always wore gloves because he knew they fingered, they got him on fingerprints sometimes. So uh, it turned out that when, when they finished, they actually passed and they had to have someone proctor the exam. He got the state of the state superintendent of the state of Mississippi to help who was a buddy of his and they sat and drank beer while the guys took the test at his house and cheated and copied the whole thing over. But he, uh, 
when they finally finished, he went to the players and said, hey, so it'd be a shame if they found out what happened that you guys cheated. And in order for that not to happen, I need you to go to the school to sign with this school. And he used them to get a job at that school. So he got hired as an assistant coach, bringing those two players with him. And they didn't want to go there. They didn't like him. And so he blackmailed his own players after he helped them cheat. So that's just, and, and I'll tell you, it, the book goes and shows you what happened to him and kind of gives you the, what, how the investigation unfolded. But it's called The Reluctant Players. If you go on Amazon, just type in Ron Barker, you can find it. It's $4.99 for the ebook and, and $9.99 for the regular book. So that's one investigation. And, and we'll be sure to link to that in the show notes and we'll push that across all our social media channels. My plan is to do that on the number. I've got six or seven books in my head. I've got the second one almost done and the third one I've started that are all going to be based on real cases. The USC case is probably one, maybe the biggest case they've ever had. It, a normal hearing in front of the Committee on Infractions goes a day, sometimes half a day. USC's went three days. The first day, if you remember, there's not just football, there's also basketball and a track thing. So the first day, Pete Carroll had gone to the Seattle Seahawks, but volunteered to come back for the hearing, which nobody thought he would. I sat between him and Lane Kiffin at the hearing. And my job was to keep them calm. They, they, they went really easy on Pete Carroll because he didn't have to be there. But Lane Kiffin had gone to Tennessee, created all sorts of trouble, then came back to the, and had been named the new USC head coach. And the committee didn't like him. They ripped on him, just ripped on him the whole time. And he got steamed. And I kept going, don't do anything. The best thing you can do is keep your mouth shut. And they got hammered. I mean, something people don't know. Reggie Bush two or three years after he was in the NFL, agreed to come in for an interview. And we interviewed him for nine hours. Oh, gosh. Walked through. I started, I was the first one, me and the faculty athletic rep from USC went out the first day the story broke to San Diego. And we're trying to chase down Reggie's parents who wouldn't talk to us. Mike McGee, the athletic director at USC, Mike Garrett, sorry. He uh, told me early on, he's never going to talk to you because the NCAA is a racist organization but here's what happened. And he laid out what happened. I think he was pretty much right. So I, you know, they, they tried to nail USC, but there really was no connection to USC. This was Reggie Bush's stepdad. And he was trying to start a sports marketing firm with another guy. And they were going to use Reggie as the first client, though Reggie didn't know that. And so they ended up giving the, his parents a house to live in for a year and gave some money to him. And so, you know, it, it was everything against the NCAA rules, but USC really wasn't involved, but USC got hammered. They forfeited right. uh, games. They lost 20 scholarships a year for like think, three years. And so, you know, that's the kind of stuff at the hearing. It was so you could tell that they were going to get hammered. And that was the case where if you remember, if you've looked into it, the NCA, the committee on the liaison to the NCA committee on infractions is an actual employee from the NCA and the committee on infractions people aren't all employees. They were having communication where they were bad mouthing USC before the case was even heard. And that got discovered during the trial and they got sued. And so it was a nasty case. It, I mean, I look at it and think, well, USC was doing some things at the time, but they, the penalty they got wasn't fair. And I'm not a USC apologist at all. But if, if you really want to look at what, they, what USC actually did and the penalty they faced, it was probably one of the biggest uh, miscarriages of justice I've ever seen at the NCAA. But people, I, would tell, people would tell me, but they were doing other things. So... You know, and you know, that's how everyone took the, the Pac 12, not the staff, but the Pac 12 schools weren't unhappy to see it happen, right? And it's, I think it kind of really shows, I mean, just the strength of USC's brand, right? Because they, yeah, like you said, they lost 20 scholarships or whatever for three, four years and then you know, bounced right back and they've gone to Rose Bowl since then, right? It was, yeah. you know, they, I mean, they've got Clay Help now still, but they bounced back relatively fast and their, their issues were, I mean, 
with Sark and Lane Kiffin, it was it was not necessarily related to the number of scholarships. Yeah. That and they and I'll tell you, Lane, uh, Clay Helton, you know, I, I never passed judgments on people as a coach. I had a kid where I live that got leukemia, a four-year-old little boy, and his dad's a USC graduate from El Salvador. I arranged for, I didn't know Clay Helton at all. I said, hey, can this, can, when you guys come up by Stanford, can this family come and meet you? And they, they hosted the little boy at dinner. And when they came out, Clay Helton walked up and didn't even say hi to me, walked right by me, went down on his knee to the little boy, signed his hat, gave it to him. A year later, I went to do a rules thing at USC and he came up to me and said, how's that little boy doing? What was his name? He goes, can you give him a football? And he gave me a football to take to him. So, you know, those are the kind of things you see that don't get talked about that make me change my opinion of people. But, you know, can you coach? I don't know. That's a different, whole different matter. Right. The, the, that's a great story to share. So what do you think is, I mean, is the varsity blues case, is that ongoing still? I know like there were some people actually went to jail for yeah. fraud because of that. Um, so is that still coming down or do you think that's got loose ends to tie up? You know, I think the, the, there's the, the NCA part and then there's the legal part. I think the legal parts moving forward, whenever there's a legal issue, the NCA sends, tends to sit back and wait. And so, you know, you've seen people go to jail, you've seen coaches lose their jobs. There's an administrator at USC that lost her job who I think is probably going to go to jail over it. So, you know, parents were working with this guy to get their kids into school and he figured out, hey, the 12th person on a water polo team, they can probably afford, afford that scholarship if we make a big, big donation to the program. So the, some of the coaches went along with it and said, sure, we'll let him in. We'll right. let your son in. He's never going to play. He's actually not going to be on the team, but we'll get him in. And they got a special admit because he is an athlete and they were able to get him into school and then change this. The program got $500,000. So yeah, it's, you know, it's, I think there's going to still be some NCAA ramifications, but it'll be done quietly. I think you won't hear about it. But it's, I think if that's, I guess if the legal thing, because what's her face and Becky from full houses on house yeah. arrest or whatever as a result of it, it's, um, Came to a jail about 10 minutes from my house. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's probably a pretty posh setup then compared to most. She's not exactly sitting in the county prison with everyone they picked up on a DUI last night. Um, well, so uh, we just got a couple of minutes left here. Um, is there anything, um, you know, that you, you mentioned kind of that obviously you work for the Pac-12, but you're at least a casual BYU fan. Your, fan, your kids went to BYU. You went to BYU, right? Um the kind of where do you think BYU fits in here and how from what you heard through the back channels obviously you don't have to share everything you feel comfortable share what you feel comfortable with of like you know how serious or what kind of value do you think BYU brings to the table in terms of offering for conference expansion beyond having a national footprint that yeah. very few schools have if you look at it just from an athletic standpoint they belong there's no question I don't think anyone say that they're they're relatively good in football and men's basketball not great but relatively good you know they would be medal topper of most conferences they are in the women's sports outstanding they and the pac-12 women's sports are great and byu fit right in there and some of the other men's sports they're really good so they're they're fan following you know i went to a stanford game early on when i was here stanford versus byu and there were more byu fans than there were stanford and I think the athletic directors know that, hey, we play BYU, they're gonna bring a ton of fans everywhere they go. So I think they fit. The religion part of it, you know, I'm, I'm a member of the church and I hear it and I think that's gonna be tough to get by. You know, it's when they went independent, their financial arrangement improved tremendously. I mean, they went, I think they, if I remember, I was like eight times the amount of money they got from when they were in the Mountain West. But they, the, the problem is you play in football, once you lose a game, 
what's there to be excited about? Where if you're in a conference, even if it's the Mountain West, you still have that chance to be that one team that gets into the one of the spots. And so, you know, it's a tough call for them. It's it'll be interesting to see what happens in this next round. If BYU can get picked up either if the if the Big 12 stays around and BYU is an attractive option for them. Um, you know, that, that would be a nice thing to see, but you never know what's going to happen. It's just so unpredictable. I think Tom is going to do his best to, to position himself to listen to everything that comes up. And I think they need to go out and be a little bit more proactive lobbying. When, when I was first started here, Steve Young, there's a guy that I'm friends with named Mark Harris, who pl had played for the 49ers a couple of years. And he, he came up and said, hey, we're having a family picnic. Do your family want to come? It's four families. Steve Young shows up. And he's like, walks up and goes, hey, I'm Steve Young. And I was like, oh, and, and they told him I worked for the Pac-12. And he goes, so I've been out lobbying, or the Pac-10 at the time, because I've been out lobbying the, the coaches and athletic directors to get BYU in. And he goes, what have you heard about it? And I go, it doesn't matter what you do with the athletic director, you got to go to the presidents. And he was, and he was, so he was actively at that time, this was back in 2002, probably, going out mm -hmm. and trying to talk to schools on behalf of BYU. That's what they need to do. They need to use connections. They need to use any connection they have, presidential connections, athletes, people who work in different conference offices, they, they need to go out there and be a little bit more proactive. But again, to put it, be fair to Tom, there's only so much they can do. And I think Tom's exploring every avenue he can. Right. And I don't think, and I know you and I talked about this a little bit this morning, that even part of the discussions, right, with the whole song and dance the Big 12 did in 2016 was even talking about now, I mean, now the Big 12 has some games on ESPN Plus that are kind of behind a weird paywall, whereas, you know, even bringing BYU TV to the table as something is like, hey, you can stuff your other sports here. We're happy for content. And that's something, you know, where just getting the exposure into homes kind of as a missionary, using it as yeah. a missionary tool, right? And it's, I'm sure they would figure out things around like, you know, making sure the conference is okay with what commercials are going to be put on during their games. Yeah. They're not going to be so, saying like, oh, watch General Conference, but right, well, but they... I'll tell you what we talked about this morning. So on my own, I, I know Bob Bowlesby is the commissioner of the Big 12. He used to be Stanford's athletic director. So I didn't ask permission. I didn't say this is coming from BYU. This was just me. I called them up one day and said, and they were looking to add two teams because they had to, they wanted a championship game and they only had 10 teams. You had to add 12 at that time to have a championship. I said, have you guys ever thought about adding BYU? And he's like, yeah, we talked about it. I said, just add them for football. Start off, you know, see how that works out. But I said, what you should do is say, we want to have BYU TV to televise our last, our lowest, maybe one or two games a week. And you're not going to make any money from it. It's going to be just to get exposure. Your teams are going to get television. And he said, well, why would BYU do that? And I told him, well, the church would get TV, you know, people in Texas that don't even know they have BYU TV would find out, oh, we have this channel. And maybe they'd stumble across something later on the church advertised. And of course, with Baylor and TC and all the religious schools, you couldn't do religious content during the football games. You'd have to say, hey, we're going to do commercials about bettering society or whatever. You know, it couldn't be a religious commercial. You'd have to work out some deals. But I said, you know, that way you get exposure. You'd get a team for football and BYU would get a win because they'd have the BYU TV in other people's homes knowing that it's there. And then after I did all that, I called Tom Homo and said, hey, I don't, I, because I, I don't do stuff like this. It's not me. And I said, I, I should have asked you beforehand, but just had this thought. And I, and I walked him through it. And he's like, no, oh, that's actually a good thought. And so Bowlesby, about six, eight months later, maybe walked up to me and said, hey, we're talking about it. And I had forgotten all about it. And he said they were actually, they actually discussed doing that very thing. But the last minute, they, the NSA granted them a waiver, so they only needed 10 teams. So they didn't add anybody, but you know, you got to get creative and BYU has got a lot of things in their corner. The ESPN loves BYU. I mean, 
when I talk to people, I have a good friend who works at ESPN, and when they talk about BYU, it's in glowing terms. BYU has been very cooperative with them and, and allows them to use their resources. And then BYU, ESPN actually helps BYU get games. They call the Pac-12 looking for games on BYU's behalf. That's the kind of stuff they need to do. Right. And I mean, and I'm sure that, like you said, Tom is doing everything he can, he can, and there's, uh, you know, they're trying to work things out. Cause I think everyone, I think everyone can read the room and know that this is, this is a tipping point, but it is kind of an interesting situation is seeing like, you know, being independent does have advantages. There are disadvantages, but it's, you know, if getting in bed with the what's remaining of the big 12 really matters on, you know, how stable is that going to be? Is it going to be something that blows up in five years anyway? And yeah. now you're kind of back to square one of, well, we got out of all our contracts and now we have to start over with yeah. five or six years of not very good schedules to rebuild and start independence over again. And, and you're going to get second guess no matter what you do. It's a no win situation, but living yeah. in the Bay area, I know the schools, they go and play in basketball. And as a fan, I'm like, God, sit in the Marriott Center and then go play at St. Mary's, which is 10, 15 minutes from my house. You know, they're, they're glorified high school gyms. And it's just got to be, but it's it's a decent league. But, you know, BYU, I think. The atmosphere is very different. Oh, yeah. Um, well, this has been great. Um, so, again, you said the name of your book is The Reluctant Players, A College Sports Scandal. And that can be found on Amazon, both electronically and a paperback. We'll put yeah, a link to that you, in the show notes. Just, if you just type Ron Barker into Amazon, you'll find it. And, and okay. you know, I, I'd appreciate anyone who reads it to put it to do a review on it because it helps me. I'm writing the second one and I've already got, like they said, add pages, page numbers, <laughs> I don't have page numbers in the first one. So things like that I like to hear. Okay. Um, so we'll get that. And do you have anything else you want to share uh, before we let you go here? No, you know, I'm, I'm, I go out and speak, like I said. So, you know, if anyone, I, I, I'm looking to do interviews and podcasts and things like that. And I like to speak to groups and I, I do fundraisers too. Where I go out and speak. If they'll, if they'll pay me to get there, I'll sit and tell them stories and show videos and stuff. It's, it's, you know, it's, I started doing it just as, with the youth groups and it became such a big thing. People liked it so much. I started going, wow, I should try to make some money off of this. And so now I'm doing that a lot. And now I'm, I'm, working out deals to try to get my book out there. So I'd come and do it just if they give me a playing fair to get out there. And so, you know, I, I'm, I have stories that you just won't believe when I tell you the details of it. people just go, Oh my goodness, I didn't know that kind of stuff happened. And that's what I lived the last 20 years. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. This has been great. And uh, thank you again for coming on and we'll talk to you later. Hopefully get you on again soon. Great. Thanks. Appreciate it.